Welcome to the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good. This season, we're focusing on what nonprofit leadership looks like in this next normal. I'm your host, Ellen Graf Martin, and each episode, you'll get to join me in conversation with some of my friends and peers in the Canadian nonprofit space who are changemakers and groundbreakers across Canada and beyond. Let's jump in. Welcome everyone. I'm so thrilled that you are here today to hear from my friends, Alice and Allie of Compassion Canada and Michael Messenger at World Vision Canada. We are really in for a treat, very honestly, as we get to connect with both of them on today's podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having us, Ellen. It's a joy to be with you and to have this conversation with Michael. So good. So good. So now, Allison, people have a little bit of a head start on knowing who you are, because there are two podcasts about you <laughs> um, from last season. And so people can go back and listen to those. But tell us, who are you? What do you do? And why do you love it? Yeah. So I'm sorry for those of you who are getting your third introduction to me. That is too much for sure. But um, well, I'm a wife. I've been married to my husband, Tommy. We just celebrated our 18 year anniversary. Uh, I am a mother of two, no longer young girls, but two girls, um, Ireland and Scarlett. They're 11 and nine. And I am the uh, still new president and CEO of Compassion Canada. So I, uh, my role at Compassion is basically to serve our staff and supporters in Canada and to work alongside my global colleagues to help release kids from poverty in the name of Jesus. And uh, ultimately we exist as an organization to permanently end childhood poverty in all of its forms by partnering with local churches to holistically develop kids. And so we partner with more than 8,000 local churches helping 2.2 million children in 25 of the world's low income economies. Um, why I love the work that we do? Well, I fell in love with this organization before I worked here. And um, what I loved about it then is what I love about it now. And it's that we are Christ-centered, child-focused, and church-based. And so um, I'm, I'm compelled to be here out of a sense of um, living my faith in action, uh, showing God's love and word and in deed, being a part of mobilizing his church to love their neighbors and neighborhoods, and prioritizing the role of kids, not just their needs, uh, but what they bring about in changing families and communities. Oh, it's so good. So good. So Michael, tell us about who you are and what you do and why you love it. Uh, thanks, Ellen. Well, again, it's so good to be here and good to be with my friend, Allison. Allison, I'm a little bit ahead of Allison in, in lots of different ways. So my wife, Yvonne, and I have been married for 25 years. Uh, we have two kids, both of them in the last year of university. Um, actually, a quick snapshot of our life. All four of us are in university at the moment. My wife is doing her PhD. I'm doing an MBA and the kids are in school. So there's a lot on our plate at the moment. But uh, it's all about, for me, it's about learning how I can do my job even better uh, to live into the calling that I feel very strongly that God has, has put on my life. And that is my role uh, is as president and CEO of World Vision Canada. I started with World Vision as an intern right out of undergrad in 1990 and worked for World Vision Toronto, and in Toronto here, and then in Geneva, Switzerland. I left to go to law school with a, with a view always to come back into the sector to this mission in particular at some point. I, I was a lawyer for 10 years, but during that time I was actually on the World Vision Canada board. And then God kept pulling me back even closer to be even closer to that mission. So I came back in 2007 
uh, in a couple of different leadership roles and then eventually as, as president uh, five and a half years ago. Um, you know, I, I, like Allison, feel called to this work. World Vision's work, like Allison, is that we are child-focused, child a Christian organization. Uh, our, our methods are slightly different in the way that we do it, but, you know, the end is the same. Uh, our vision statement for World Vision includes the language that we, that we, uh, we have a vision for every child, life in all its fullness, our prayer for every heart, the will to make it so. And that concept of life in all its fullness actually comes from Jesus' words in John 10.10, where he says, I've come to give you life, life in all its fullness. So we want every girl or boy, no matter where they live in the world, even in some of the world's most difficult places, uh, to experience that full life, to live into their God-given potential. And so we are privileged to walk with them. Um, I'm privileged to have the opportunity to support our team here in Canada, a part of our broader World Vision Partnership and engage with our work around the world, seeing it firsthand in our long-term development programs, emergency relief and advocacy work. And again, it's a, it's a sense of calling for me. My favorite quote comes from uh, Christian author, Frederick Buechner, yes. who says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And I've, as I tell people in my job, every day I get to live in that sweet spot. And for that, I'm deeply, deeply grateful. So good. And you know, what I hear is that the two of you have such, um, how do I say this? Like a heart in tandem, like this, this deep passion. And what I know about Alice, and I, I know Allison a little bit more, but I've gotten to work with both of you, is that I, I hear in you that you're both a little bit competitive, but not like competitive against each other, but that you push yourselves. And so I think what an amazing um, posture of learning in this season and from each other. So I know I, when I say competitive, it can come across wrong, but the book that I know Allison told me last September or October that you were both reading was Rooting for Rivals. So that book, Rooting for Rivals, came out I'm trying to think a couple of years ago. And when I first got it, I remember getting the galley of it, not even a finished book and thinking, my dream is that leaders of organizations across Canada would read this because all, as much as they wouldn't say they're rivals, because we work with a lot of organizations that would say, no, they're not our rivals. In some ways we're positioned that way. And so how do you root for a rival? What is, are you really rivals? Like this is the title of the book or are you collaborators or co-laborers? What? So tell me, what, Kate, there's, this is a big question to unpack. Why are you reading the book, number one? What are you learning from it? And what does it mean to actually root for each other as co-laborers? Ellen, I think one of the things I think Allison and I have discovered that uh, we didn't really need a book to tell us that we needed to work together, that we are, uh, we might have slightly different slices of kingdom mission, but it's all about kingdom mission. And it's so closely aligned, especially as we think about uh, our focus on children, our focus on overcoming poverty and injustice. Those are things that we really, you know, we, we hold on to. I really like the, the book um, and also the, the author's other book, Mission Drift, uh, both really, uh, you know, significant, almost prophetic words, I think, for us in our sector, partic particularly as Christian faith-based organizations. Uh, first of all, the idea that we don't have to work from a place of scarcity but one of abundance, you know, that it's the age old conversation around, well, what's your slice of the pie, rather than focusing on encouraging us to grow the pie together. Uh, and then also just this idea of, uh, are we focused on kingdom or clan, right? This is the, you know, are we, are we just looking at our own narrow, narrow slice or, or what does that look like? I think competition sometimes can be healthy because it, it stimulates innovation, it's good ideas. 
Um, but and I also I reject the idea that there's competition on one hand and just you know pure cooperation collaboration on the other side. Sometimes it, someone has phrased it or coined the term collaboration. Oh, I love that. The, yeah, the best of both, and I think that. You know, Alice and I, our organizations are sometimes in the same space. Sometimes we're talking to the same donors. But you know what? The fact is that if Allison, if Allison's organization resonates with the heart of a donor who wants to make the difference in the life of the kids, I can say that's fantastic. That's an amazing choice. And, you know, it, it, if that's what rooting for rivals means, I, that's, I think that's what we want to try to embody. Mm-hmm. Allison, col- collaboration. I like that. <laughs> No, it's it's so true. And, um, you know, one of the things I echo what Michael said, that it was never about, um, you know, needing a book to decide that, hey, you know, we ought to really work together. Our relationship, and I hope we get to this later, really developed organically and started with Michael reaching out to congratulate me in my new position. And so we've been on this path for 18 plus months now. But when we think about just the principles that we're talking about today, there for sure is this uh, posture of humility. And I think there's this need for ongoing individual humility as leaders and Christ followers, of course, but also organizational humility. And one of the things the author talks about, but I know we resonate so much with as leaders, is the classic Tower of Babel story. And the fact that the sin was not that they tried to build something great, but that their motivation for doing so was to make a name for themselves. And so what does it really look like to say, it's not about us. And that's that kingdom and clan thing. It's about joining God and advancing his mission. It's about working with others to advance our impact on the life of kids and the poor and the marginalized. And so then even organizationally, what does humility look like for us to learn from other people, to consider other ways, to learn from other approaches, and to do more with others than we could you know, really ever do alone? And so I think the, the why, this, beyond just the theological reasons and the fact that this is the way of Jesus, this is what it means to be kingdom people. Not that it's easy always, but that's what it means. But there's practical reasons that Michael was talking about too. And I remember, Michael, I think I said this to your staff. I might have shared this story when I spoke to them at chapel, but uh, Michael and I both, he's still working on his MBA at Ivy. I'm so far ahead of him. You know, October, I graduated. <laughs> Not competitive at all. I have, a lot of, I have a lot of phone calls to Allison, like, what do I do with this? Yeah, yeah but um, in, in one of my classes, we actually went to uh, the Royal York Hotel in downtown Toronto and spent some time talking to one of their um, key leaders there. And the, and the conversation at the time was about how digital disruption is impacting the hospitality industry, which was a saturated and competitive environment, not dissimilar to the charitable space in Canada. And his response really surprised me because he said, you know, what we've done is we actually built an alliance. Like put aside your thinking of competition for a second, we built an alliance and said, how can we work together first of all with the tourism industry to bring people to Canada, number one. And then once they're in Canada, what's the smaller subset of alliance and collaboration so we can put Toronto on the map and really help people understand why they should come here. And then within that, do you want a five-star Royal York experience or do you want you know, a, a low-cost, low-perk Airbnb? So work together, grow the market, right? And you can see the obvious parallels for, for us, for many like us. But what does it look like 
for us to work together to keep the global realities and the needs of those suffering extreme poverty and injustice on the hearts and minds of Canadians. And how can people like Michael and Allison or others keep kids on the agenda and ensure mm -hmm. we're thinking about them? And then within mm -hmm. that, a, I won't say that there is an Airbnb version or a Royal York version, <laughs> but you know, what is it? Are you interested in grassroots, church-based, holistic child development? Are you interested in broad-based community development that also develops mm -hmm. children? Which, which one are you interested mm -hmm. in? So I think there's mm -hmm. practical opportunities too. Well, and I liked, Michael, when you said about scarcity versus abundance, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the reality is I think sometimes we forget that there's room at the table for all the family and, and that ultimately you, you, we, all three of us are siblings <laughs> in God's family. And so there's room at the table for us to have a conversation and to respect each other and care for each other so that God is glorified and his purposes are worked out in our world. Is that not true? <laughs> Uh, I, I think it is absolutely true. I think sometimes a, a posture of abundance, though, requires us to take a longer-term view. Um, you know, if we think about, if you, I like, love that ex example of the family meal. Uh, maybe I'm the crazy uncle at the family <laughs> meal. I don't know, but but uh, you know, at one individual meal, there's only so much food to go around. I mean, unless Jesus is showing up with loaves and fishes, then you know we may be kind of limited. But if we think about what does this mean for future meals as we grow the, you know, whether the food supply for the family or what does that look like? If we have that longer term attitude that even if we feel like we're in a scarcity moment, if we look toward the future and coming to that sense of calling that sense of family, why are we family in the first place? Well, it's because we all have, you know, believed in and have experienced the transformational love and grace of, of Jesus. Right. And so that's that's. Focusing on what holds us together looking forward, it actually might help us to think creatively about the scarcity that we might find right now, but have this longer term kingdom view is what I think it is, which is mm -hmm. one of abundance. And scarcity in this season, I think I, I was sharing with you before we started recording about how I, when I've been speaking to leaders, they talk about um, fear as a leader in this season, that it's been, it, not that they're afraid necessarily, but that it has been scary because we don't know what we're walking into. Um, we talk about they're tired, they're a whole bunch of different things, but we're in this season of, we just don't know. Um, so globally, we'd say, we don't know where our next meal is coming from. You know, a lot of children like this, right? And in Canada, we're being hit with the reality of we don't know what the next three months will look like as we carry forward. So how does a relationship or a friendship between colleagues or peers help in a season like this? Um, but you know, they say that um, you know, leadership is, there's a weight to leadership, first of all, pre-COVID, but certainly through crisis that is hard to understand until you experience it. Um, and there can absolutely be loneliness uh, that sets in um, to the point where your job as a leader, I think, is to ruthlessly break down boundaries and walls that people put up between you and be between them because of who you are or what title you might have and to ruthlessly pursue um, authentic community. And so, yes, to have other leaders, uh, leaders in the same sector, leaders outside of the sector, other just moms and, and people, community leaders that um, you can walk with, that, you know, can sit in the pain and the challenge with you, can offer that, you know, listening ear and, um, 
often shared understanding really does mean a lot because again, you know, as we talk about the way of Jesus and what it means to live in kingdom ways and, and then lead in a ministry context, it's all about relationships. It's all about interdependence. It's all about unity and unity in diversity, by the way, um, which there's a lot more to say there as you think about how to really do more together as different organizations or different even sectors. But yeah, to be in fellowship and relationship with other people who you're connected with in some ways, you know, united in, in many ways and unique in others, I think is um, a growing experience for you as a leader and certainly uh, a supportive experience leading through something mm. like this. And so Michael has been one of those people uh, for me and it's been a joy to have someone uh, to call and text and uh, pray back and forth as things come up. Yeah, and I, I feel the same way with Allison and with other leaders as well. I think if, if you're talking, Ellen, to anybody on your podcast, leaders who think they've got it all together or don't feel at least a little bit afraid, I'd, I'd ask them some tough questions. I, you know, personally for me, um, you know, not, well, personally for me, I have felt at the edge of my leadership capacity and likely beyond it most of 2020, I think. Uh, you know, this is not the way that I expected this year to go. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's, it's been like, you know, holding on in, in, in many ways. And one of the challenges, I think, especially for leaders, and, and Alice and I are both, you know, even if we want to eschew hierarchy, nevertheless, we are ultimately responsible for our staff, for our operations, for our strategy. You know, we're both, we both report to boards, but nevertheless, we are kind of uniquely positioned in the organization. We can be authentic leaders expressing how we're, we're feeling, but at the same time, you know, our, our staff and teams look to us for the direction that we're going to go in. They want a sense of hope, not just helplessness, right? They, they want a sense to know that we actually have a vision and a foundation. And at World Vision, I've, 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 I've been talking about the fact that we're, we're 0% business as usual, but 100% mission as usual. That's a message that really can only come right from, from, the, from, from the leader. But... And, and sometimes I heard it said, and I don't know if it's maybe on our MBA studies, I'm not sure, Allison, but somebody, a wise leader said, sometimes when, when your staff are running around and afraid, it's the leader's role is to be the calm in the midst of that. Whereas, you know, if, if staff are feeling calm and complacent, often leaders are the ones that are kind of leading the charge, right? So you kind of have to operate like that. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, and here's the dirty secret, I don't know, mm -hmm. uh, for all those people listening out there, I feel just as afraid, if not more than anybody else. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so yeah. I need to find places where I can express that in a, in a place where other people who understand, who will pray, who will give insight and, you know, connections with people like Allison, who's who are in the same boat. It's just it's, it's that much more critical during this time so that we don't allow the weight of of the world to take away the joy of that we have in our ministry. That that is wise. You know, Ellen, one of the things, I might have said this to you before, um, but that got really placed on my heart through our transition. Um, my transition into this role was complex, challenging, you know, relocation of family, restructure of, org of leadership team, you know, because of some health leaves and MBA, like Michael said. And I remember saying um, to Barry Sloan White, um, our former leader at the time, you know, after going through this transition, being just a CEO is going to feel like a walk in the park. You know, we, we laughed about that. Lo and behold, it's been a more challenging and trying year than I ever would have imagined. But uh, what God placed in my heart through the transition was, Allison, not on your strength, but on mine. 
and not alone, but together. And so there is this I think as leaders, we're inherently, you know, people who want to be ahead of it, want to achieve, want to fix, want to bring clarity, want to drive things forward. And by the way, Michael, I think, yeah, there's always that counterbalance, right? If they're slow, move them faster. If it's, mm -hmm. um, and so we're constantly doing that, but to recognize, hey, I think our critical role right now is to lead out of the depth of our beingness in Christ to rest more than ever before, which seems so counterintuitive, to spend more time quieting our hearts and our minds, soaking in the truth of scripture, um, unplugging from our computers and our devices, thinking, you know, um, and really walking in Christ's empowerment and spirit. And then that togetherness, mm. there is um, a need for that deep, authentic, like Michael and Allison conversation. I'm not your leader. We have, you, you know, we can talk at a different level, but meaning a personal level is what I meant by that. But in the organization as well to go, there is a togetherness that is needed right now where guess what? I don't know much more than you right now. I might be, have a little bit more sense, you know, in, in some areas on where we need to go next, but this is about all of us mm -hmm. bringing our experience, our thinking, you know, together. And I think so many leaders out there could be uh, burning both ends of the candle and trying to figure this out alone. Mm -hmm. And that's just um, mm -hmm. not the way. Yeah, we've held on to, uh, I personally have held on to uh, the words of Paul in Galatians 6, 9, and this is the messenger paraphrase, but you know, don't, don't grow weary of doing good for at the right time, God will show up and, and you know, we'll, we'll reap a harvest. So it's, in a season like this, it is just so darn wearying, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and you need people mm -hmm. to kind of help you help you along the mm -hmm. way because we do need to hold on. We always have that hope. We need to always look. It's that two part of that that verse. Yes, you know, don't grow weary, but and remember what's next, right? So now, I guess one of the things that I think is wise and God was preparing behind the scenes before we ever knew what 2020 would look like is that Michael, you had to make the choice to reach out to Allison when she was becoming the CEO and president of Compassion. So maybe tell us why you did that. Well, you know, Compassion and World Vision, we've been in the same space in, in Canada for a long time. And, and my predecessor, Dave Toyson, was, was uh, you know, a colleague and friends with Barry Slownwhite, who was uh, Allison's predecessor. I knew Barry because, uh, you know, as well and, and just often thought about, I actually initiated, uh, we had some, we had some breakfasts with a couple of other org Christian organizations as well, just to, just to kind of make the personal connection. I think sometimes we were seeing each other through the lens of organizations and I could look at, you know, their branding and marketing and material. And even if I loved it or agreed with it, you know, that's not what I thought was needed. I think it was this idea that we wanted to model a personal relationship. And so when Allison came on board, um, I, I, I reached out. I thought it was the right thing to do because I wanted to encourage her. I was just a couple of years ahead of her and wanted to say, listen, <laughs> I don't have a lot more together. Maybe I have a little tiny bit more of a glimpse of where we're going on this, but what can I do to support you? And I think that was really the, the it wasn't a, a grand opportunity for us to work together necessarily, although there's been some really good collaboration. It's just a, here's a, here is a dedicated Christian leader who cares about the same things that I do, that I might have something to share and chances are I'll have a whole lot more to learn from her. And so that was what the, that's what, that's what prompted that. And Allison, when you got that, because I'll, I'll tell you that there are probably leaders out there listening who are thinking, 
I don't know if I, you know, would they, if I sent them an email, would they just think, oh, they just want the inside scoop or they're just doing it to be nice or, so how was it for you, Allison, when you got that email? Oh, no hesitation, by the way. I was just thinking of how to express how meaningful it was. Um, it, it was exactly that. It was a sense of being welcomed into a community of leaders, you know, and, um, I think there was this instant sense, I don't know if it's choosing trust, but just immediate trust and respect. There was no hesitation. I remember, Michael, I invited you, you came to the Compassion office and we had coffee. I think it was your first time in the office because there was a it bit was. Michael Messenger's coming to the office. We, we, <laughs> we joked and we're like, pull down the strategy documents, you know, <laughs> we were, but it was, it was great. We had coffee in my office and, um, talked about leadership transition. We were both internal candidates following long-standing, well-respected leaders, uh, navigating change, needed change, and change that was, um, you, you know, that we were forced to kind of walk through and navigate. We were, he was embarking on an MBA, and so there was a lot of commonality. Mm -hmm. And really quickly, we recognized the shared vision that we had for our organizations, the shared vision we had for the church. And so um, it just happened naturally and organically, but it took the invitation and the mm -hmm. overextension from Michael, which I gladly received. Mm -hmm. And what, a, I mean, honestly, for those people who are listening right now, who are wondering, um, or who are feeling really alone. I mean, we one of the episodes this season is with my leadership coach, and she talks about don't go it alone. And there will be people who are listening who feel alone. And so I think what I hear you saying is if you're thinking if God, if the spirit is saying you should reach out to someone who may have been perceived as a rival, to do it, <laughs> to take the opportunity. And I know, Allison, you sent me a message and you said, this is an opportunity to identify and cheer on our peer, uh, uh, each other as peers and invest in each other's success. And what a gift to have someone who would invest in your success and cheer you on in this season. So Michael, you reached out, but I'm assuming you're also getting this cheering on in this season. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. I don't know. I, I, my leader has leadership has been shaped by people who have invested their time with with me. I, you know, I I came to I came back to World Vision in a leadership role in 2007 as, as at the time as VP of Public Affairs with zero leadership. Uh, you know, leading a team. I, I had never done that before, so I was like, okay, look, I'm a lawyer. I've got. Uh, you know, subject matter expertise, and I think I'm a good speaker, so can you use me, right? And I knew the organization from my time on the board, uh, but it was right from the get-go that I identified, and it was so meaningful to me, I had an executive coach, I had mentors, I had people that within the organization and outside. I, I created what I called my personal board of directors, uh, people who are just, they're, they're only, they were not a reporting relationship, but they were people I could count on. Those people were critical as well during the time of trying to discern whether I'd put my name forward for the CEO role, the president role at World Vision uh, at the time, who walked with me, prayed with me that I, you know, I shared uh, all of the challenges of that very weird uh, time being an internal candidate. That's, that's the subject of a, of a podcast in and of itself, uh, learning so much, but you know, some of the, the strangest six months of my life uh, in, in lots of ways. But if I hadn't been for those other people who were outside that I could, I could count on, that did not, I mean, they were all supporters of World Vision in one way or the other, 
but who didn't have a hat on. They had nothing, they had nothing in the ring except me um, and my well-being and my spiritual well-being as well. Um, and I, I, that's, that is what uh, was critical for me. And so when I have been given an opportunity to mentor people, to walk alongside, I can't, I can't remember the, a, a time I've said no. Um, you know, I, and I, love, I love connecting with new leaders in the sector who are, are new. You know, it's interesting. My, my World Visions world is a little bit, we expand maybe a little bit more broadly within the sector because we're part of some of the other, you know, we work alongside secular agencies in different ways. And it's all just a different piece of, the, of, this, of this mission. Um, and I, I love those moments where I get to come alongside sometimes leaders who are not Christians or of a different faith and yet find those points of connection and encouragement and, and prompt them. We've had some really robust conversations and I'm grateful for that. And it's so good because, I mean, the reality is the sector that we, that you serve, it, it, it has been affected significantly. And I say sector, that really dehumanizes it, but the people and the children um, that you serve, their lives are really affected by 2020. I mean, we can joke about 2020 and I know Michael, you had an unfortunate incident as 2020 and, you know, ended up with stitches yeah. and, and yeah, eight, yeah. eight <laughs> stitches on my head just came out. So yes. And as hard as 2020 is for us, the weight of carrying the people that you ultimately serve. So the beneficiaries of the work of compassion and world vision is significant. So maybe tell us how ministry in that way has changed this year. Yeah. Well, maybe just to set some context uh, globally, Michael, you can add, of course, uh, yours to that as well before we talk about Canada. But um, in every sense of the word, you know, lower income nations and those living in extreme poverty are the most vulnerable. And everything then about COVID-19 has been magnified for them in this season. The risk that they're navigating, the fears that they have to stomach, the life and death realities that they're facing. Um, the, the places that we work, World Vision and Compassion, are just far less equipped to deal with mm -hmm. the consequences of this pandemic, right? So they already have fragile and strained health systems, weak institutions, and therefore they're going to be the most significantly impacted by then the secondary effects of this pandemic. Because it's not just a health crisis, but it's a food security crisis. Um, we're talking about seeing an increase in hunger, in starvation, a rise in preventable diseases, and largely experts are saying, and our staff are saying, they're seeing the risk of undoing at least 10 years of progress mm. that we've been working so hard towards. So it's, it is a year of so much heartache and loss and obstacles um, that we are facing uh, with those we serve and are then working hard to combat that life and death reality for them. It's hard mm. to put words to just how significant that is, and then the weight that we can feel in uh, trying to serve them well through this season. Mm. Yeah, we think about COVID-19 as, as a health crisis, and it is. Uh, but the language that we've used at World Vision is, think about the, the health aspect as a, the earthquake, but then there are aftershocks uh, on the most vulnerable that are actually probably more significant at all. In fact, we know that, you know, for the most part, kids tend to have a milder form of COVID-19. It may not affect them as much, but for them, the most vulnerable, they're going to bear the brunt of overstrained health systems that are all of a sudden having to be used for acute COVID care and 
mothers and babies aren't getting the, the, the prenatal or maternal and newborn health care that are needed or, or you know, the basics of, of vaccinations, for example. Food security. We're deeply concerned, particularly in the context where we're working with refugee or displaced people populations, around child protection issues. Uh, the rise in the number of, of girls who are married and an earlier forced marriage is just unbelievable, including in some of the programs where we've been working for a long time. And that's been an area of our work. I was talking to our national director in World Vision, Malawi, um, and she was just, you know, that that is the deepest concern. School, for example, which is schools are often the first to close and last to open in the face of a crisis, uh, are, are more than a place of an education, however critical that is. It's a place of protection. It's a place of, of security. It's a place of, of rhythm. It's a place of often breaking down cultural barriers that are keeping particularly girls from, from living up their full potential. So we're seeing that impact. But, so it's the health crisis, it's the aftershocks, but we also, and I know it's the case for, for your team as well, Allison, the way that we've had to do this work in, in, uh, in our, our, our national offices or field offices has had to change because they're subject to those restrictions as well of moving around. How do you get the word out? Even, even those of us like you, you are church or community-based. Nevertheless, there's still those critical ways of getting resources or supplies or uh, communications or those kinds of connections where you can't gather together. It's really hard. That's, that's creative difficulty. And then, of course, in the Canadian side, um, just the, the challenges that we've had in, in our fundraising and, and the, the difficult decisions we've had to make to be to ensure that we're keeping our field commitments at World Vision candidates meant, you know, uh, trying to be mission focused. But that has an inevitable impact on our expenses and our staff and the number of, of, of team members that we have. And we want to make sure that we, you know, we, we treat affected team members here or around the world with compassion and grace and go above and beyond. But uh, that's the biggest heartbreak in the face of this. So everywhere you look, this is a this is an emergency like none other in our 70 years. It's our biggest humanitarian response, but it's a it's an emergency that's affecting not just people over there, but people here. And my prayer is that Canadians and Christian Canadians and uh, Canadian Christians in particular will rather than kind of turn inward and think about the needs of our own family, which is right, also remember our neighbors elsewhere. I'm hoping that Maybe when, a, when somebody goes into a grocery store, has, perhaps experiences food insecurity for the first time, or they see a shelf that doesn't have all the things that you typically expect on it. It seems so minor in some ways, mm-hmm. right? But maybe I'm hoping that'll just give a glimpse of to what, what a, a mother in the Democratic Republic of the Congo faces every single day, having to make the choice between, do I go out to the market today because I'm a day laborer, do I get out, whatever I make today is what I, the food I buy today to feed my children today, or do I socially distance and keep my kids hungry at the risk of, you know, bringing uh, disease into my family, into my community, which could have an even bigger impact. Those are the kind of decisions that are happening every day. And it's our challenge as to how to, how do we bring Canadians along the journey of understanding those choices? I do hope that there's something in here that that sparks a point of connection where our story and the stories of, of somebody like that in the DRC, so they, they, they connect. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that God's in the mm-hmm. middle of that. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's so interesting, Michael, you know, in some ways people talk about COVID-19 being this great equalizer or the pandemic that knows, or the crisis that knows no borders. And in many ways, that's true. Of course, what you and I have talked about is it disproportionately impacts the most vulnerable without a doubt. 
but it's been so interesting as a leader because you know we work in 37 countries if you count the low middle and high income economies that compassion works in and overnight what are we dealing with everyone is you know lockdowns working from home you know choices for their family um you know what is adapting and changing look like in their world so then as leaders what are you talking about the the personal well-being of your staff how do you support them mentally how do you support them spiritually how do you lead them through navigating this you know on their own and so it has been so interesting for us at compassion i'm sure it's true at world vision there has been um this uniting as leaders and and finding different ways to sit in one another's um realities and to step into their shoes a bit as we've then a been connecting way more uh, been sharing some similar similarities of experiences but then saying okay but where then is it different and how can we be a part of everything you said, Michael? You know, God really mobilizing his children to recognize that this is a daily reality for so many people around mm -hmm. the world and that hygiene is a luxury mm -hmm. um, for many. Social distancing mm -hmm. is a luxury that so many don't have. Mm -hmm. um, so again, so interesting to be united in so many ways and to have shared experiences and to learn from them, but to also recognize the uniqueness that mm -hmm. we have a responsibility to continue to illuminate for people to understand. Yeah, I, I hope, you know, Ellen, at the beginning, you I think we talked about this idea of a table, right? When we were talking about scarcity yeah. and abundance. I just hope, just like we see in the, in, you know, the, in the parables, that, that, that we can open our table to those, you know, who, who are in need. So mm -hmm. it, it's expanding that idea of family, uh, putting mm -hmm. in a whole bunch more leaves into our table to invite people here, rather than kind of shrinking in and just mm -hmm. thinking about what's, what, are, what are our needs. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it's, it's a challenge. And I think, to, to be really honest, I think Canadians are really good at that. I think our pioneering history, you know, some of those pieces are not great. You know, we, there are issues around that. But our pioneering history, it's funny. When I talk to people from Europe, they don't know what a bridal shower is. And I was trying to explain a bridal shower, a baby shower, and that is the idea of coming around someone in the community to share what we have so that they're equipped for the job that is in front of them. And I see that in this Canadian that's a very good Canadian thing that we do and so I I want us to be that family too <laughs> and I think I, I am so grateful with the weight that you are carrying right now both of you for your organizations and Michael when you said I'm at the edge of my leadership cap or capacity or over it um I think you spoke what is on the heart of so many leaders. I'm not going to say every, but I might go right there um, across the country right now. And so we need each other. We actually need to have that. Okay, I'm going to share the resources I have to equip you for the job and vice versa. We really need that. So thank you for leading the charge on that. That's what I want to say. You are, you didn't, I don't think you intended to, but you are leading in that. And I thank you for that. Are you a nonprofit leader passionate about your organization's mission, but unsure how to communicate it effectively? Do you wish your communications budget went further, that your development and communications teams worked better together, or that you had a stronger plan to find new supporters? At Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good, we get it. With you in mind, we've custom built solutions for nonprofit organizations to make your message have more impact, reach further and connect with the right people for years to come. 
Schedule your free consultation by emailing solutions at grafmartin.com. Again, that's solutions at grafmartin.com. So one of the unique ways that this played out for both World Vision and Compassion and Food for the Hungry this year is in doing a collaborative fundraiser concert, which was fantastic, by the way. Um, my husband and I watched it and it was it actually was so refreshing because I've missed worship on Sunday morning. So it was a gift to us. Um, it was fun for me to text to donate. To be really honest, I wanted to donate to all three of you at the same. And so this was great. It's um, split but- three ways, Ellen. Don't worry. <laughs> so tell us. Don't you, by, by the way, aren't you a long-standing? now this is a risky question to ask you, but I'm pretty yeah. sure you're a Compassion sponsor and a World Vision sponsor. Yep. Yeah. Our family sponsors children through World Vision, um, Compassion, and Erdo, actually. So, and, and we're justice partners or freedom partners for, with IJM. So like we put our money personally where our mouth is, <laughs> to be very That's honest. Great. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so tell me, wh- how did this all come about? The the partnership and and d- did it? Here's a the question every leader will ask when they're listening. But but did it work? And and so you know, and I don't know if the payoff <laughs> really, really is funds, funds at the end, end or, or if it's saying, saying hey, look, we, we can, can actually, actually work, work together. together so. so. Yeah, well, I'm inclined to answer the last question first because it's the most, I think, exciting. Um, Let me say this. So how it came about is, uh, and then you can correct me, Michael, because you might know even more than me, but um, the idea for this specific event happened in the U.S. um, And not dissimilar to our journey, our uh, president and CEO, Jimmy Mayato of Compassion International in Colorado Springs has a friendship and relationship uh, with the World Vision USA um, CEO. And so they've been on that track for quite a few years as well. And But it was some of our relationship managers who work with artists and musicians that are friends as well and spend a lot of time together and have been talking about what it would look like to do something together for many years. And of course, in light of these unprecedented is the word times and unprecedented need if there ever was a time to rally together and to lift our voice together uh, for the needs of kids and those uh, living in poverty now was the time Uh, but the canadian part of that story is um when i uh, heard about it i texted michael and said have you heard this we need to do this and there was this sense of now's the time because we didn't know practically what it would look like and um as far as living out these kingdom values and what it looks like to really root for rivals practically and i remember saying that to the world vision staff at the chapel like here's i think philosophically and theologically why this matters here's how i'm going to be cheering you on and envisioning what that could look like, but saying, I don't know for sure, but let's walk on this path together that we both just sensed, Michael and I, that this was the time to do it together. But here's the point. Success to us was purely living out our kingdom values and the intention to stand together. And if we could then raise awareness for the need together, then that is success for us. So um, we would say that absolutely, this was a success. So good. Yeah, it was absolutely the right thing to do for for, for sure. And, and when Allison connected with me, and we had Sean Plummer from 
from Food for the Hungry as well in Canada. I mean, the heavy list, lifting had been done already from the conversations in our colleagues in the U.S., but uh, it was a no-brainer to bring this into, into Canada. As organizations, all of whom use artists in, in some way or another to help support our cause and, and to be our you know, spokespeople and, and help support, it made sense to bring them all together under, under one virtual roof, I guess, to, 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 to do this. I'm with Allison. Yeah, you know what? Was this, this was never, we know that this kind of connection is, is it's never going to make a ton of money. I know, having said that, in the U.S., where the, the kind of the, the process was maybe a little bit well in place, they raised more than a million dollars, and that's, wow. that's, that's exciting. We raised some money here in Canada as well, but it was less about that and more about how can we demonstrate that we, we can work together. I, I'm always surprised at, at moments when people say, wow, you know, I'm surprised that World Vision and Compassion are working together. Aren't you? Aren't you rivals? And I want to say no. This, we're in the same cause together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Let's 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 leverage our voices mm-hmm. and our influence and those who support us to come together on things that that hold us together. Not that not the differences that in our models or approaches that may make it feel like it's a you know different. Well, you know, it, as good marketers. Good branders. We always want to find that differentiation. Exactly. What's my value proposition versus Allison's and mm-hmm. whatever. But the fact is, when you really want to get into it, you have to work pretty hard to figure out what the differentiation is in that sense, because so much of it is similar. So let's let's rely on those similarities, those overlaps, those those common mm-hmm. commitments um, mm-hmm. in a moment like this. And that's why I think it was really significant. And be confident in your uniqueness and what God has called you. I, 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 every single organization that we've worked through brand with, I always say God has uniquely called you to something and you need to own that and live it out. And it gives you a confidence in saying, hey, I know that this is what we do. So I actually, it allows for collaboration with others when you're like, I know this is our role and we're going to run in it. And Allison, I know that's your role. We're running in them and and we're going to do more together. More children and families and people will be lifted out of poverty if you work together. That is the ultimate, that, that, I mean, that really is the bottom line, isn't it? That's exactly it. I mean, as we said, it's, it's the way of the kingdom. It's uh, practically a way that we can do more together. In fact, going back to your initial questions about rooting for rivals, I think it might've been in person, if not in his book, he talks about three reasons for collaboration, um, the, you know, the theologian's perspective, the practitioner's perspective, and the um, economic perspective. Mm-hmm. So there is a sharing of resources practically when you can do things together. Uh, you can make a greater impact programmatically and accomplish more together. And again, theologically, where we can stand together, because I'll tell you, there is just far more division in our world today than we probably ever would have imagined. And God came and Jesus came to break down dividing walls and to build us as one body, unique, but one body. And so what does it look like for us to live that out as the church? What does it look like for us to live that out as the parachurch? And again, to walk in the ways of Jesus that values inclusivity mm-hmm. and diversity and, and unity and all of that. Mm-hmm. Now, you both are learners, like you are, you are learning. And I'm saying this is a, this is a journey where we're learning as we go, but I wonder if there's something that you've learned about yourself through this season, um, that has surprised you and that you want to make sure you keep 
going with as you move forward. I mean, even I, and I've said this over and over, people who listen to the podcast will be tired of it. But one of the things I keep hearing is that people are tired of traveling and that it's been so nice to stay home a little bit. (laughs) And so some people are saying, I just want to be able to stay home more. So is there anything you've learned about yourself in this season that you want to carry forward? I think it goes without saying that at moments of crisis, we really do revert to who we really are. And, or, and, and, and the more understanding we are of, of our strengths and our weaknesses as leaders, the better equipped we are to kind of understand uh, the circumstances. Now, what, what, am I, what am I saying by that? You know, I, I am, um, you know, I, I'm somebody who, uh, I'm an extrovert. I love to be talking to people. Uh, being stuck in a, you know, behind a Zoom call is, is, is not my favorite thing in the world. But I also recognize, and I've done some really good thinking about this, you know, being, being on top of things, being seen to be on top of things, being in control. I'm an Enneagram three, if that means anything mm-hmm. to anybody. You know, Michael, I, I think, how, how have we not <laughs> talked about that before? I don't know, but yeah, <laughs> we should have a little support group. Yeah. You know, that competitive achiever, the idea that yeah. at my worst, right, I revert to seeing my value through how other people are seeing me rather than this mm-hmm. deep sense of understanding, no, this is who God has called me to be and who's God called me to be in this season. That's been tested through this time, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that you have to approach these things with the gifts that God has given you and, and do two things. One, in the words of one of my mentors, actually, as leaders, sometimes you're confronted, you've done all your homework, all your praying, all the sense of direction, and there's still multiple options in front of you. As leaders, and my instinct is, I've got to wait until I know what the right direction is, what the right path is. My, my friend, my, my mentor said, you know what, at a certain point for urgency, you just have to pick a path. And so stepping out, literally for me, that's stepping out in faith and saying, you know what, the, any one of these things, I, but we have to move. I have to pick a path. And not only am I not sure about that, but I also know that there's going to be lots of naysayers who are going to say that that was the wrong path. Mm-hmm. And if I'm so focused on what other people are thinking or how I'm being measured in that sense and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the days of, of just kind of expecting that, oh, my logic will be clear to everyone as to why this is the right way. That's not where we're living in. And so it's it's really for me, it has it has meant figuratively stepping absolutely out of my comfort zone to say, you know what, I'm not sure, but I'm sure enough that we're going to go this direction and we're going to be transparent about the fact that we're not sure enough and tell the world, you know what, I haven't got it all together but we've got it together enough because we have this solid foundation of mission so that we can take the next step. And there may be a moment of greater revelation along the way. And there have been these glimpses of vision uh, along the way where God has really shown up. But he's in the, God is in the gray in the same way that he's in the black and white for me as a leader. Uh-huh. And that has been a real learning for me just to say, sometimes God says, you know what, Michael, it's not, the burden is not on you. It's not in your own, it's not, it's not up to you to, to get this right, but I've equipped you to take some risks, make some steps. So out of my comfort zone, more risks and really trying to just invite God to be with us in, in the journey, in the uncertainty with, with fixed absolutely on, on who he's calling me to be and the organ, where the organization is called to go. Mm-hmm. That is so helpful. I can't even tell you how helpful that is to so many people that are listening right now. Michael, I'm, I, I'm so glad to know you're an Enneagram 3. Can we just acknowledge <laughs> that one more time? We're going to need to talk about that more because that is, that is a real thing. Uh, I resonate with so much of what you say. Um, I, the other month, 
was sharing with our staff 10 things I've learned in 10 months. And I could have had 20, 30, 40 things. It has been a season just ripe with learning, but you know, just piggybacking off of some of the things you said there, Michael, is um, I've learned that to be a leader is to be continually solving new and complex problems, which means your work is never done. Mm -hmm. And as an Enneagram three, an achiever who wants to accomplish, move things forward, that can be challenging if you don't quickly accept that this is about continuous improvement, one step at a time. What's the next decision, the next decision? And as soon as you can accept that this is an ongoing path of navigating complexity after complexity, the more joy-filled I've experienced and peace-filled you can be and going, that's, that's the work is what's that next right thing and that next right decision. You know, and, and Michael, you talked about the gray. Um, it's so true. I've also learned that to lead is to manage tensions, right? That it, it's not often black and white, right and wrong, or even a conflict to be resolved. It's gray and it's both and. And, you know, in the broadest sense, practically speaking, our role is to navigate short-term stability and long-term viability. That's strategic leadership. That's very difficult through crisis because there is a, I need to care for month one, month two, month three, but I also need to invest now for month nine, 12, 15, 18. And that is a really difficult balance. But you know, beyond that, as leaders, it's the balance of the past and the future, old, new, digital, physical. In our context, you know, the present kingdom, the not yet kingdom, the local church, the global church, all of those are beautifully actually gray tensions to sit in and to be freed from choice and say, you know, through hopefully a good discernment process in the context of community and wise counsel um, to, to make that next right choice between tensions. Um, so again, so much learning. All of that, of course, is in the context of community. Um, I have not figured that out fully. In my most truest moments, I still feel isolated. I still feel um, connected, but not fully um, uh, the depth of transparency and connection that I think I need in my life uh, related to moving to a new city, right? So that takes time to build the depth of community. But my goodness, do I want it? And am I thankful for people that, like Michael, who can show me what that can look like and can be one of those people in my life that I can be real with and talk about the challenges? I think the other, that, that's that's amazing, Allison. And, uh, you know, I... I was just thinking about the difficulty of, of navigating a new city and a new place. And then, you know, the points of connection that you kind of assume uh, disappear at, at during during the pandemic where you're you know stuck at home and, and these kinds of kind of connections. Um, sometimes the, those tensions are they are, they move in beyond tensions, I think, towards almost a sense of cognitive dissonance. Like it just I'm almost being asked to, to hold two things as true. And and in that way, it. it what's actually right really is kind of beside the point. Um, it's, it's about going, uh, you know, mo moving forward. I think that the one thing that I would learn in the midst of all of this as well, this is also a, a real learning for me, um, is you can, especially as a leader of people, a leader of a team, you can never have too much empathy. You can never you know, put yourself in the shoes of, of the, the most challenged staff member enough, right? 
And, and that does not, however, mean that you don't make tough, difficult decisions that may cause pain for some people. But you can do that in a way, I think God calls us to this, and this is what I'm learning, is just, it's, it's about recognizing that we're, we're making decisions, holding our plans firmly, but lightly, being willing to kind of let the, let the Spirit prompt us to, to do what's the right thing, going above and beyond what we should do, and just always, always think about the impact of people and what, it, what it's going to mean for them, and to try to, try to be as flexible and, and open as possible. That doesn't undermine strong leadership. Uh, when there's there's a healthy dose, you know, almost a too much dose of empathy, because I don't think that's possible. That's that's the other learning for me. Those points of connection that I've had with our staff, where they've said um, we really deeply appreciate it. It's it's been less in the big visions or the four part, you know, strategy plans. It's been you know what you actually spoke to me, acknowledging that you know what I've got I have school age kids and I'm trying to do a full time job and my spouse is here as well and it's just a nightmare. And you've said that's tough. Let's see what we can do. Mm-hmm. It's moments like that. That's, that's what actually engenders the trust that puts mm-hmm. the foundation for when you do make the bigger decisions and pick a path that may be challenging. People mm-hmm. are more willing to come along with you. And that's, that's an ongoing learning for me. Mm-hmm. Do you find, Michael, well, I, I'm sure you do. Um, I've been thinking a lot about kind of this elite leadership ellipse, you know, where, and I, I'm sure I've stole that from someone else but an ellipse is that geometrical, geometrical shape that has two interrelated but unique focal points. And the point is you can't have one without the other. And so I've been reflecting on people and purpose. And there is, I mean, what I hear in you and what I love and appreciate about you is that you are a purpose-focused person. You are intentional in all that you do and intentional in pursuing relentlessly the purpose and the mission and the vision of World Vision. Um, And in order to do that, there's the people that God has called us to love and serve and learn from and walk alongside through the process. And you can't accomplish your purpose without your people. Um, And so in this season, how do you, back to that tension and balance, but really invest in the well-being of your staff and walk with them, sit with them through their own sense of of pain and cognitive dissonance and, and challenge um, you know, empathize, as you said, and still walk forward to accomplish that purpose together. Um, the choices reflected in that are, are not easily determined, but it's how to keep both in that. No, and you're absolutely right, Allison. And I think it's, it's particularly challenging. And you and I have both gone through or are in the process of, for me of, of doing a master's of business administration and one of the biggest business schools, you know, in, in, in the world, right? And the Ivy Business School. I'm sometimes struck at, at the difference of what it means for us to be working in the nonprofit or charity sector. Because unlike a big corporation, they, well, yeah, sure, they want to do social good and all those kinds of things, but they really have one set of customers or perhaps even more narrowly just you know, doing the benefit for their shareholders. Well, who are my shareholders? Who are my customers? I have customers at both sides. Ultimately, it's the children that we serve and the families and the partners that we have, the church and civil society and others, but also our supporters along the way. So it's almost like... That's, that's another one of those ellipses where, where we have to kind of keep those tensions in balance. How do we make decisions as an organization mm-hmm. that don't over connect mm-hmm. one way or the other? Mm-hmm. And for me, I think in all of those things, it, it sounds simple, but it's a lot harder, but it is something I have to keep coming back to. It is all about the mission. It's about keeping that as the filter through which we look at everything. So as I'm trying to make really difficult decisions to say, Listen, do I have the capacity 
potentially to keep a few more people on my payroll during this time. But that may mean undermining the potential commitments that we've made to families internationally in terms of the yield measures that we have. That is a tough situation because these are people mm-hmm. that are, feel called to our mission. And what does that mean? And, but you have to just keep coming back to what does our mission say? What does this look like? What does it mean for life in all its fullness for kids in, you know, in, in tough, tough places? What does it mean for us to have that, that will to make it so, to invite Canadians. We just keep coming back to that, and it's a, mm-hmm. it's a constant wrestling. Mm-hmm. But at least there's a place that, that, that provides that foundation for thinking. But i I got to say, I'm, I am certain, well, I know for sure, but I'm certain that, that, that I've made mistakes along the way, that we have erred, we've tried to correct. I'm sure that as, you know, in, in the, in the, as, as the future unfolds, we will look back and see some things that we think, boy, we were right on. That was the right thing to do. And other things we say, you know what, that was a sketchy, that was, you cut too much or you made this decision. I know that. But at least we've got that anchor to say, you know, God, be with us in our deliberations, we pray. Uh, bring people around me as a leader, as an organization. Uh, engage our people that they're not just, they're not just cogs in a wheel, but they're 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 part of a team that is equally committed to this this partnership that stretches spans the globe, you know. Oh, you know what? This is so good. I feel like we almost need an after party because we could keep <laughs> talking forever. Now I have to ask um, because there kind of is an after party. <laughs> like people can still connect with your organizations and connect with you. How do they tell us? How do they find you? after this conversation after they listen to this conversation yeah you can find compassion online at compassion.ca and you can find us on uh social media at compassion ca and we would love to engage with you there you can uh, see stories of lives being changed and also see how you can get involved and michael and for world vision same thing, worldvision.ca. Learn more about it, including our COVID response, uh, sponsoring children, our work in relief development and advocacy, which carries on. Uh, also really active in our, our um, social media as well. On Twitter or uh, Instagram, it's at worldvisioncan. We have a campaign working right now that's talking about how children are, we don't want to just see them as, as uh, victims, certainly not even survivors, but as overcomers. So that's, that's a message for us. And, and I, I sometimes reflect both on world vision things and personal leadership things at my own Twitter handle at, at MJ Messenger. So welcome the follows and anyone who follows me, I follow back. So would love to, love to learn more from, from anyone who's interested in learning more. So good. I'm glad you're an extrovert, Michael. I'm an introvert. <laughs> so <laughs> people don't believe it, but I'm like, I'm really grateful for extroverts like you who follow everyone back. That's so good. So good. Uh, thank you for your time today. This has been really rich. And I'm very grateful that you said yes when I invited you to share the platform and interview together. Our pleasure. It was a joy. Thanks for inviting us in, Ellen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good. Graf Martin is Canada's leading integrated marketing and communications agency for nonprofit organizations seeking to do more good. If you need an agile, full service marketing agency to move your organization forward, we get it. Visit grafmartin.com to learn more and schedule your free consultation so that you can do more good. 